Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, an unconventional podcast for the unconventional music lover, brought to you by Music on the Move Studios, a woman-led company working to help musicians move their careers forward through education and live events. I'm your host, Katie Thompson. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Today's episode is geared specifically towards musicians who are trying to grow their brand or the musicians who are kind of starting out, don't really know where to go, don't know how to develop a business and aren't really sure what having an entrepreneur type of mindset means. Our guest today is Stephanie Belcher. And she is host of the podcast called When Songs Mean Business. She also has her own consulting company also called When Songs Mean Business. It is Steph's mission to work with emerging artists, career musicians, and struggling business owners to streamline their business operations and reach profitability. That is a hard thing to do, especially when you don't know where to start and you don't know what you don't know, right? So... Stephanie and her team, they follow a proven process for development and growth, and they help musicians get organized, create systems and processes, make and follow budgets, prep for taxes, and grow their companies to amazing heights. So for every single artist that is out there, doesn't matter if you're brand new or if you're kind of already in it, you need some of the golden nugget information that Stephanie is about to drop on you. So get a pen and paper or get a note-taking app. Do something and get ready for this because she is going to just totally bomb you with some amazing knowledge. Now, stay tuned towards the end of the podcast, and I'm going to talk about a couple of the really cool freebies that Steph is going to make available to you. So get ready. This is Steph Belcher. She's amazing, and she's going to wow you. Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, everybody. I am your host, Katie Thompson, and today co-hosting with me somewhere on your screen is Aaron McClendon. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> and then with us today, we have Steph Belcher. Friend, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So uh, you're the host of the podcast, When Songs Mean Business. Yes. And I, so I've listened to the episode that you and Aaron did, and it was amazing. It was lovely. Disney <laughs> it was songs so and fun. Linwell yeah. Miranda. So, uh, so everybody, there will be there will be links in the show notes for you to go and check out Steph's podcast and also her business links. But Steph, if you could just tell our listeners a bit about your background and your business to kind of get us started, that would be great. Sure, sure. Yeah, I grew up in a musical family. Uh, instruments were everywhere growing up. My mom had a guitar. We had a piano. I was in all the church choirs and school choirs. My dad used to sit me down and make me listen to um, like Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Pink Floyd and like all these like progressive 60s British rock bands. And we gr grew up on the Beatles. And, yes. you know, yeah. I really had. Yeah, I really had like a very well-rounded uh, musical background. My grandparents would take me to the orchestra and, and I, you know, I grew up like obsessed with music and um, at home, I have an older brother from my dad's first marriage who got into a lot of trouble when he was growing up. So music became like a safe space for me to kind of process, um, you know, everything that was going on in my house. There were a lot of Walkman tape, uh, runs around the neighborhood and you know like uh, a lot of angsty punk music a lot of hip-hop um and then when I got into high school I was going to follow in my mom's footsteps and become a journalist so I joined the high school newspaper and I was just kind of naturally drawn toward writing about arts and culture and so when I was a sophomore in high school I discovered this event in Cleveland. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I discovered this event in Cleveland called the High School Rock Off. It was a battle of the bands competition where 75% uh, of the band had to be in high school. So like if there were four people, one member could have graduated, but that was it. Like it had to be core high school students. And my high school had two punk bands that made it really far in the competition. Nice. So I got to interview them and cover the event 
And, you know, I got to go to the venue early and watch the sound check. And I really got to know the bands and I, I started to see a path for me an unfolding where maybe this was something that I did full time. So when I applied to colleges at the end of my junior year, I applied to all the schools that had good journalism and music schools. And I ended up at Indiana University which was a perfect fit for me. It was still in the Midwest. A lot of my friends had gone there and they have a fantastic music school. So they have a really great, Bloomington, Indiana has a really great local music scene. And I got really deeply involved in that. We were booking shows at all the local clubs, the Bluebird, the Buskirk Chumley, and then on campus too, we were booking shows using like student activity funds. So that was really cool because we got to talk to a lot of agents, deal with all the security and ticketing, you know, booking the whole show, everything from top to bottom, conceptualizing, marketing, executing the whole nine. So when I graduated from college, I was like kind of torn between going into radio, going into concert promotion, you know, did I still want to do the journalism thing? And I, this was like right at the time when Napster was forcing all the record labels to downsize. I graduated college in 2004 and it was incredibly hard to find a job. I ended up freelancing as a self-employed person for the next three years, which didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea how to build a business. It was really just that like, I couldn't find a job. And so if I wanted to work in music, I had to do it myself. So I because just kind of like hacking my career together. I was picking up production gigs where I could, and I ended up moving to Chicago and luckily found a job as a marketing manager at an MP3 website that supported unsigned bands and helped um, give them kind of a spot on the internet where people could come and download their music. You know, this was in 2007 and um, the internet wasn't, Websites weren't quite as easy to build and accessible as they are now. So for some bands, we were their only website, their only download spot. And that's when I fell in love with emerging artists and independent kind of up and coming bands that were right in the artist development space. So this was in Chicago and some of the bands that we had on the website were Kate Vogel and Zach Brown band and Stephen Kellogg and the Sixers. And so there was like, a lot of artists that are still around today, but they were at the very beginning of their careers. And that was really fun for me. I got to develop a street team at a hundred and I'm sorry, it was at 75 different colleges around the country. I picked two reps from every college. It was like a whole thing. You know, we made a list of, of all the colleges with great music scenes and we cross-referenced it with who was looking at the website and Then I had to put up all these Craigslist ads. And that's when I kind of fell in love with like grassroots marketing and getting that emerging artist to bring in their like deepest fans, those fans that have always been with them right from from the beginning and are like so excited to hang up posters on campus in order to get a ticket to the show or whatever. So all these pieces started to come together right as the economy was crashing in the 2008-2009 recession. And it all just got to be like too much. All of the hacking, you know, trying to get my career to make sense and have, you know, have come some kind of consistency day to day. It all just got to be like really overwhelming for me emotionally. I completely burnt out. And in January of 2009, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to get a, j- a job. I'm just going to get a day job. I don't even care what it is. I just need like paycheck and I need like some sort of consistency in my life. So I took a job answering the phones at a really busy tax office in Boys Town in Chicago. So that was one of the most fun jobs I've ever had in my entire life. The people that were coming through the door were so full of life and joy and vibrancy and they were so funny and silly and I I stayed I stayed in tax for the next 10 years because just having that job I I stayed at that job for three years and then we my husband and I moved to Michigan Um, but 
I was like blown away that I liked doing taxes or that I liked being around that kind of thing. But everybody who was coming to have an appointment with us really needed our help. And they didn't know what they were doing with regards to taxes. And they were confused and scared. And there was all these foreclosures and so many people had gotten laid off. And, you know, 2009 was like a total shit show everywhere. So I stayed at that job and I started bringing my musician friends to get their taxes done with us. And that's how the two kind of blended together. So having had that marketing experience and the emerging artist and the self-employment stuff and bringing it all together, I could see what it looked like on a tax return and on a financial statement. And I could see very clearly that the artists who, and it was not just musicians, we dealt with a lot of like um, hairstylists, flight attendants, real estate agents, photographers, um, makeup artists, stylists, you know, like the whole nine. Like I, I worked with the lady that did Oprah's nails in Chicago, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I have wow. questions. <laughs> that, honestly, that's all I know. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't, I wasn't allowed to ask anything about Oprah. It was like very strict. She was like, I cannot tell you anything. And I was like, okay. Well, bummer. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> But I started to see that the artists that went into it, knowing a few key factors of like what their career, what they wanted from their career, what was important to them, what their longer term goals were, they had an easier time when things went wrong, when the shit hit the fan, when the banks stopped giving loans, when the mortgage runs late, when, you know, like when tragedy happens, if you don't have a plan, everything's going to fall apart. But if you do have a plan, you have some kind of location from which to pivot. And it just became easier for these people that had put a lot of thought into their business. It became easier for them to kind of move forward. So as I worked through my tax prep career and I learned bookkeeping I took a special interest in business planning and development, and that really morphed into teaching artist development from a business standpoint. So like when I work with an artist now, it's almost always an emerging artist, somebody who's at the very beginning of their career, who's trying to build up that first you know, circle of tight fans, or they're trying to hire their first manager, their first agent, you know, maybe they're trying to get their first publicist. The big picture questions that I'm asking, it's with the tax return in mind. It's with the end of the business in mind. You know, how are we going to close this business? Are we going to sell this? Are you trying to grow it to a point where you want investors and partners? Or is this a business that you're going to do for the rest of your life until you retire? And I'm always thinking about it through this unique lens of knowing what a tax return looks like and knowing what the tax deductions are. Um, what kinds of, you know, if you're in a specific tax bracket right now, you can put money away into one particular kind of our IRA that might benefit you later. And these are the kinds of things that like, I know that most other people who have been in music marketing don't know. So I have kind of a unique angle on everything. So at this point in my life, in my career, um, I'm mostly just teaching. I have pretty much stepped away from doing like in-depth tax prep, like just for the listeners, it is April 14th and I'm not stressed out at all. <laughs> I have, I am well rested. I am not scared of any deadlines and it feels wonderful. I bet it does. It, oh my God. It's great. So, um, at, you know, the, after the last like 13 years of my life, like this date is the day that we're like every, you just start putting people on extension and everything starts to get a little bit easier um, but I couldn't really maintain that lifestyle anymore. So I stepped away and I started teaching. And at this point, I'm mostly educating and um, trying to help musicians build businesses that are actually sustainable with the end goal in mind, and then teaching them self-employment skills along the way. Wow. That is so helpful, especially since Katie and I just finished our taxes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like one of those things where it's like, 
oh my god this is mind-numbing yeah. and to have somebody like you um and to have access to somebody like you be like no this is how you file your taxes as a musician like that's so helpful and i wouldn't think the best job you've ever had would be at a tax office yeah that blew my mind wild. Yeah, that blew my yeah. mind when you're like everybody was so joyful i was like literally yeah. never heard that about never. finances <laughs> ever, ever. <laughs> yeah yeah and it was the owners honestly they were so funny they used to joke um come for the taxes that stay for the comedy. So they, (laughs) yeah, they helped. There were a couple CPA firms after that where I didn't have quite as good of an experience. Um, But, you know, it's, uh, it's always the people at the end of the day, it's always the people that, that make the work worth it. So. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Wow. That is so cool. Thanks. It's so cool. All right. So, um, Tell me this, when you're working with a new musician client, what are some of the things that you look at first when you're advising them on their business? The very first thing I always ask everybody is why music? And this is a blend of two of the books that I've read, uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek and How to Make It in the New Music Business by Ari Herstand. Both of them have you start with why. Why, why do you do this? And that's always the very first thing that I ask people. And a lot of times the answer is very similar to the person before them. You know, music allows me to express myself and I have a story to tell and that's all really great. But sometimes people have a hard time with it and they don't really know why. And I've found that if they have trouble ask, answering that question, then it's sort of a sign to me that maybe they're not fully ready or fully committed to the process yet. But I always, I start with why, and then I start with core values. Uh, Core values are intrinsic to yourself as a person and they weave in and out of everything that you do in your life. So it's not specific to one job. It has to do with your relationships and the way you do your laundry and how you treat your pets and whether or not you called your mom today, you know, it's like, these are like the things that you can't really change about yourself. So when I know those, it makes it easier for us to build a business that you're going to stick with for the foreseeable future, because if everything else falls apart, you still have your core values and you can always lean back on those. I love that. Yeah. So what are your Uh, yeah, I was about to ask, what are some of the best answers you've ever gotten when you've had, when you've asked, what are your core values? I know like you have confidentiality agreements, so like you can't tell us who said what, but like what, what have been some of like the best answers you've gotten? Authenticity comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. Honesty, um, vulnerability, you know, I think Mm -hmm. that music exists to, connect communities and to help people process their emotions. Dance music exists to, you know, help people have that release and sad music exists when you need to cry. And it's all very like deeply tied to our emotions and our souls. So I love when somebody comes in and they're like, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable as shit. You know, like this is going to be so scary for everybody who's involved with this process and it's going to be amazing. Those are those are my favorite people to work with. So my next question is cuz I'm trying to think like what are my core values? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the things that pop up are the things I consider priorities. So would you consider the those two things like core values and priorities different or the same? That's a good question. I would say that if it's coming from a place, if, if your priority is coming from a place of self-love and purity and your, the priority is not tied to what someone else thinks that you should be doing with your life, mm-hmm. then yes, you probably naturally prioritize your core values. Okay. But if you haven't done that healing yet and you're still living by other people's rules and other people's values then there can be some confusion 
in there. And that's one of the things I have a workbook. And that's one of the things that I put in the workbook is like, this isn't your grandma's core value list. This is yours, <laughs> you know, like yeah. this is what's important to you. This isn't what people have been telling you is important for your whole life. And it, I think it's really cool because it gives people a chance to really look at like, what do I want from my life and how do I, how would I act if there was nobody here policing me? Yeah, that's interesting. That's a really cool topic to think about. Thanks. I read this book. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Have you guys read it? I've heard of it. (laughs) I've not read it yet. It's on my list. It's amazing. The whole book is basically about how we give too many fucks. We care too much about what other people think about us all the time and what other people are doing and what other people are driving. And um, you only have so many fucks that you can give. So you have to direct them to like the most important things. And the the book it really changed my life um it's one that i keep like right next to the couch so i can just grab it anytime i need it and once i read that i was like man so many people think that things are important to them just because somebody else told them that it was important mm-hmm. yep and uh that's a stigma you know a mindset stigma that i really want to shatter in the world is that as an adult in the the country, in the world, you can do whatever the hell you want. You can believe whatever you want. You can love whoever you want. You are free to do the things that make you happy. Are there consequences? Yeah, absolutely. And you need to think about those and, you know, what they mean to you. But But you have to choose what fucks you give. Yeah, I you know that makes me think of the uh, the meme with Winnie the Pooh. I had to get at least one Disney reference in there. Guys. <laughs> um, but the meme with Winnie the Pooh, where he's looking in the mirror like this, and it's like, look at all the bothers I give. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you know, when you sit down, when somebody wakes up in the morning, and they have a whole day ahead of them where they can do whatever they want, you know, then it it becomes a question of what makes me feel good. What is of the highest good? What can I give to the world? Do I want to help somebody today or do I only want to help myself? Mm-hmm. And what fucks am I going to give? What, where am I going to put my fucks today? I have five, five fucks to give. Who's getting them? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Priceless. We kind of have a, a system that is similar to that. And it's our like six most important things list. Every Mm -hmm. single day. And we set one out at the beginning of the week. It's like, okay, here are the six things that have to get done this week. And then it breaks down to like daily things. Because obviously like Katie and I live two very different lives and independent (laughs) lives. Um, But yeah, I relate to that so hard. (laughs) I I love it. And I love helping people work through this. Because a lot of times, you know, I, it's nice that you guys have each other. I, I wish that I had a, a Katie and an Aaron. I, I don't. And that's kind of hard for me because I want somebody to like bounce these ideas around with, you know? And so that's a space that I really am trying to move into as the word is coach, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a hot word right now to mm-hmm. be a coach. It is. And, um, I, growing up athletic, Aaron and I talked on our podcast about how we both run. Um, I've always had coaches and coaches go far beyond just telling you how far to run, you know, and how to get your VO2 max up or whatever. So it's really like a mentorship kind of relationship where I want to fill a space almost like that first manager that you would have where you're, you can't give away 10% of nothing, but you still need somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm. So it's like, instead of people hiring me to be their manager, they're hiring me to be a coach or a mentor. And when they, you know, call me on a Tuesday and they're like, these are the 17 things that I have to get done before, you know, June 1st, where do I even start? That's something that I can help them work through because I have all this experience with not only like the end game, which is the tax return, you know, Mm -hmm. like you file a tax return four months after you're done doing business for the year. So 
if the first time that I'm talking to you about your business strategy is when we're filing last year's tax return, I can't help you with that. But if we're talking on a regular basis and I'm a mentor or a coach for you, and you aren't sure whether you want to take this expense or this gig that's going to pay you really well, but bring you no joy or this gig that doesn't pay at all, but is going to get you in front of a bunch of record label people or promoters, you know, we, we could talk about that. And if it's like a money thing, oh, I don't know, you know, I need, I want to take the expensive gig because I have to pay bills. We can talk about, well, how, what are some other ways you can make money? These are just like the kinds of conversations that I really like having. And I think I have a unique perspective on it because of all the different experience that I've had. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So can can you describe like a few of the most important business practices that help musicians that you help musicians set up maybe? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Where to start? Um, <laughs> the first and most important one is to actually file your tax return. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's so real. It's okay. It's I've, so simple. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it. Yeah, be surprised. You okay? So interestingly enough, and uh, ironically, uh, my husband and I every morning we wake up, we drink coffee, and we watch whatever's on TBS. And this morning it was Two Broke Girls, and it was literally the episode on tax returns. Uh, (laughs) She's like, I've never filed my taxes before, and she's like, Wait, what? Never? Like never? Never? Just never. So the thing with not filing your taxes is that you don't know in the future. You don't know the future and you don't know when you might need those tax returns. So uh, life can change really, really fast. Yeah. And the IRS wants you to have your tax returns from the last seven years readily available for whatever reason. So like a great example of this is um, an artist who's never filed a tax return about their music. They get a W-2, they file the W-2, they get their tax refund, you know, but they never put any of their music on a tax return at all. And mostly the reason why they're doing that is just because they don't know what to do. But then they write an album and it gets, it goes really well and it gets a sync license and it gets picked up by a record label and a publishing company. And somebody comes and says, I want to invest in your company. I would like to give you $100,000 and I would like to become a part owner in this company that you've clearly built because you have assets, you have intellectual property, you have this record, you've been touring, you've obviously built a business, right? So I would like to be a part of it. I have a check ready for you. Where should, who should I write it out to? And then you're like, I've never done anything. I've never started a business. I've never put anything on my tax return. And you either have to look that person has a check for you in the eye and say, I'm not ready to accept this yet. Or you scramble and call me and you say, Steph, I really need your help. Like I got this record deal waiting. They have six figures for me. I don't know what to do. What do I do? And then we have to backtrack And if years have gone by without you putting all this stuff down on paper, it's either going to look really sketchy when we go back and amend everything and say, oh, sorry, IRS, I forgot to mention that I actually have this whole other thing going on. Or you're not going to be able to accept the money because you literally don't have a business place to put it. You can put $100,000 in your personal checking account, sure. Uh, but the bank's going to have questions. The IRS is going to have questions and it's going to be kind of messy. So I get a lot of musicians who don't know what the future holds and they don't know that they have to be serious right from the start because it can really delay things to the point where you might lose the deal if you don't have it all already set up. Dang. Wow. I'd never thought about it like that before. Yeah. Because, you know, like, we're we're independent musicians. We don't make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a business, obviously. and But, like, when we file, it's like the IRS is not going to care about these $4 I made on this one song. Thanks, Spotify. 
yeah. <laughs> you're right about that. But they care about if you like if suddenly that song blows up. Yes. Right. Exactly. And suddenly like you're a TikTok sensation with a hundred thousand dollars in your pocket and you're like, uh, um, uh, yes. uh. And that happens. It happens and it happens over five years. So then you can't go back five years and write off the really expensive gear that you bought to record that album before it blew up. So that expense is just gone. And accounting, what accounting really comes down to is the difference between your income and your expenses. And so when you create a piece of intellectual property, it's expected that you're going to make money on that for many years to come. It's not a one and done, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you get a haircut, your hairstylist makes money from that haircut and it is done. There's no royalties. There's no property. But when you write a song, you are creating a piece of intellectual property that is an asset and it's going to continue to exist in the world indefinitely forever and ever and ever and ever, you know, whoever wrote the happy birthday song, probably didn't expect it to be something that gets sung millions of times a day, but here we are. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, the income that you earn from that piece of intellectual property needs to be offset by the expenses that it took to create it. And you can only claim the expenses in the year that you actually spent them. So oh. I feel like I should be taking notes. I'm going to like, when this episode airs, I'm going to like re-listen and take actual notes. That's amazing. You know, maybe we could talk offline and you could help me come up with some kind of like curriculum for what independent musicians actually need to know about this stuff because I have so much information, but I don't know what people really want to know. Dude, what we need, and this is like, I've been, um, I, an independent contractor or self-employed for the last, like, God bless, like six years. Goes by and fast, huh? It does. <laughs> but like what independent artists needs to know or self-employed people even is like a checklist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like an IRS checklist that's not from the IRS because God bless that website is yeah. mind numbing and poorly mm-hmm. written. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> I actually do have a checklist. It's four pages. It's four phases. It's the design phase where you come up with your core values. You come up with your mission Mm -hmm. statement. Mm -hmm. You know, like what are your natural skills? What's your branding? All that stuff. And then you organize the business. So you get an LLC, you get a tax ID number, you open a bank account, you do all the like annoying logistics stuff. And only when those two things are done, should you start to move into marketing. And this is something that I've come up upon with many of my clients where they started doing marketing before that they had all that stuff set up. And it's a situation where we just talked about where like it blows up and then they need to backtrack. And then, so that's, so the third phase is marketing and that's telling your authentic story, you know, doing all the website stuff, creating some kind of like a funnel where people can opt in and get information from you. And then the fourth phase is reporting. So the, what's interesting about the reporting phase is that like, that's what the tax return and the financial statements actually are. They're just reports and you need to collect all the data throughout the year so that you can run an accurate report. But once you collect all the data and you run those reports, they are so ridiculously helpful. It's so incredible to see side by side, how much money you spent on Instagram ads versus how many more streams you got or how many more YouTube plays you got in conjunction with the, you know, like the advertising or whatever other kinds of marketing things you're doing. If you can run those two reports side by side in real time, then you can move forward with confidence, this amazing level of confidence that you've never had before, because you can see when I run an ad in Poughkeepsie, New York, my streams in Poughkeepsie, New York go up and, but you can only get that information if everything is caught up. And if you're running in real time and able to like pull these reports. So everything is kind of created, this whole checklist that I wrote is kind of created with the idea of running these good reports. And then a manager can come in 
and see that you have all this stuff set up. And they're like, thank fucking God. I don't have to be the one to set all this stuff up. And that's, that's when it really starts to flourish and explode is when the manager can get in there. Cause managers are tend to be very data-driven. They can get in there and they can be like, here's your key markets. I know promoters in these towns. You have fantastic Spotify, Instagram, TikTok numbers here. Let's get you a show. Let's build that street team. Let's get you into this town. I got a radio interview for you. This is going to be phenomenal. And if you, if you don't have all that stuff set up already, that's the first thing that your manager is going to need to do. And that takes like, honestly, like six months to a year just to aggregate all that stuff. Wow. Yeah. Dang. So many head cannons today. I just, (laughs) I'm like, here's the thing. I have a degree in music and music business, and I'm sitting here going, why did no one tell us this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Music, it's different. You know, I learned this by watching an advertising company do it, and Um, I learned it by watching H&R Block. Like, I worked for H&R Block for a while. They have fantastic marketing. You've probably been seeing it for the last four months, and it's not necessarily something that music business people gravitate towards because it's kind of dry and a little boring to learn about it, but it's really fun to implement it. And that's, um, that's kind of my crossover, you know, having had all this experience at these CPA firms, I didn't only work with musicians. I worked with lawyers and dentists and realtors and hairstylists. And that gave me a different kind of insight into what the music business is lacking. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a gap that I'm trying to fill. That's awesome. Well, and I, I think that, you know, the concept of, you know, m- maybe most people look at this as it, you know, being kind of a dry subject, but like you said, when you start to actually learn how to implement those systems, your business grows. Yeah. And so who's not going to get excited about that? Yeah. 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 What I, one thing that I really like to do with people is talk about where they're most profitable mm-hmm. is people like to spend money. <laughs> and so they'll be like, I'm going to put on this amazing festival and we're going to make a bunch of money because we can sell this many tickets at this amount and it's going to be so awesome. Right. And then once you start actually crunching the numbers, you realize you're barely going to break even. You're not going to make anything at all. The festival is going to end up with $500 in the checking account after it's over and everybody else got paid except you. So I like to really look through the data and see what areas are most profitable and then try to focus on those as best we can. So like teaching lessons is incredibly profitable, especially over Zoom. Like In New York City, I don't know if you guys know this, in New York City, a private piano lesson is $150 an hour. Mm -hmm. There's like really no expenses except for a Zoom subscription, right? Yeah. So, but then you need to take taxes out, of course, but that's very profitable. Sync licensing is very, very profitable. And um, there's a, you know, there's a bunch of other things like stock music, musician, Um, where you just put your stuff up on like pond five, that can be really profitable because you're usually putting up scraps, you know, like 30 seconds of a song that you're never going to use. So you throw it up there and it didn't cost you anything to put it up there. So everything that you make is profitable. Um, Merch can be really profitable if it's priced properly, but Mm -hmm. like gigs are not. And recording for the sake of recording is not profitable at all. But those are the two things where people tend to spend the most of their, most of their time. Right. So then it becomes a matter of figuring out what your time is worth. And these are all just, you know, like, I like to think about the economics of it all, the opportunity costs, what are you giving up if you're going to go do something else? And um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I didn't get a music business degree. I got a journalism degree, a media mm-hmm. marketing degree. So I do have like a very unique kind of angle on everything. And uh, I appreciate that you noticed that. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing is, and I think Katie will agree, like 
when you get a music degree, they don't focus on the actual business of being a musician. They just focus on teaching you the down and dirty of technique and music theory and history and stuff like that. And I think where a lot of music schools fail is they don't actually teach you how to be a business because as a musician, you are a business. And that's something I want to point out to everybody. Like we hammer this home a lot with a lot of the guests on uh, this podcast, but also with our students as well who are aspiring singer-songwriters. It's like you have to start thinking of yourself as a not just a creator but a business Mm -hmm. because if you don't, you're never, ever going to make money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that this is sort of a relatively new mindset Mm -hmm. in the music business the date in my mind is 2004 when this mindset might have started but it was probably actually later than that there were like four major things that happened in history that allowed musicians to crawl out from underneath the umbrella that the labels were keeping us under and that was that home recording equipment became affordable yeah that was the biggest thing before like 2000 you know before like the late 90s if you wanted to record you had to go to someone's studio Mm -hmm. you couldn't just go in your basement you couldn't plug a microphone into pro tools it did not work like that right right so when home recording equipment became available and there became a place to put it on the internet so digital service providers started allowing independent artists access to itunes and that was really where it started then the things that you were recording at home had a place to go on the internet. And then Spotify changed everything. And then Kickstarter changed everything on top of that. So there was this other element of going direct to the fans. So those things happening in tangent with each other over the 10 years from like 2004 to 2014 or 2015 created an entirely new economy for musicians that we haven't really wrapped our brains around yet because we're very much still like living in it. And the pandemic changed it again on top of that. And so like, I'm not surprised to hear that people aren't teaching music business in the way that I am because it's like, I've worked at colleges and there's just like a lot of red tape to get curriculum approved and everything has to fit inside of this higher education mold. But then there's people like me and Ari Herstand and, um, Vanessa from the Pro Music Guide and Izzy from um, Fame Hackers who are trying to teach these like different methods that, but we're not, we're not doing it through colleges. You know, we're not doing it through that red tape of a higher education institution that's existed from the 1800s. Right. Right. Aaron and I have had so many conversations about how I feel that now my music business degree is literally almost null and void because yeah everything that I learned in the music industry program I'm like this is all outdated information and none of it is valid anymore yeah Yeah. it breaks my heart me too because I have like a you know literally an $80,000 piece of paper that's kind (laughs) of worthless now yeah I I want to re I want to help you reframe that because because <laughs> uh, like it's like heartbreaking to it me, is. honestly like but I know I know exactly what you mean um, I like to try to help people reconcile their student loan <laughs> or like you know the cost of their education with the idea that the purpose of college was to learn how to learn yeah mm-hmm. and that you're never gonna know everything. So you always have to constantly be learning. And what college did better than like what high school or elementary school did was it taught you how to study properly, how to write a paper, how to show up in class and present it. And it like refined you in that way of where you are a better learner than you would have been if you hadn't gone to college. So when I'm telling you all these things now, you have like a greater capacity to understand it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, Thank you. And, you uh, made me feel better. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. No, I, I trust me. I like, I'm still paying my student loans. Um, when I graduated, it was $132,000 in debt. <sighs> yeah. I'm down to almost less than 10. Yay! Yeah. 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 
or I'm, I'm just awesome. really hoping that one day I'm going to wake up and Nelnet's going to be like, guess what? Your student loans got re- like paid canceled or whatever the yeah. word is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I am very grateful that I don't have student loans because I had scholarships. Nice. Um, but my, my, I, I still acknowledge my degree is my very expensive piece of paper that says I can sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You learned how to sing. But you learned how to I learn. Did. I, I did. College also is really good for teaching us how to work in groups. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or not. Or not. <laughs> right. Or have exactly. not to work in groups too. Yep. Yeah. Seriously. Oh, like, I hated group projects. Yeah. I'm totally a loner. I always I, hated them. Yeah. Me too. I ended up either just doing everything or not doing anything because just the dynamic of it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Absolutely. Well, this has been so informative. Yeah. What yes. else do you want to know about business or, or me <laughs> or music? Well, I know, I know that we have kind of a hard stop that we have to be careful of, but I do want to know if you could tell me, so for the musicians listening right now, what episode on your podcast do you think they should listen to first? Ooh, that's a great question. I know which one she told me to listen to. <laughs> which one was it? The Essential Songs? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, I like the Essential Songs one. That one's a good way to get to know me because I talk about all my favorite songs of all time. It's I've been building that playlist for like 10 years. Nice. Yeah. It extensive. It, yeah. And it was really fun. It was really, really fun. Uh, Aaron's, uh, Aaron's episode is amazing. Finding oh, Authenticity. Shucks. Yeah. And Teaching and Performing. <laughs> I loved it. I love that. Um, I think I would probably have people if this is the very first time they've ever thought about having core values there's a core values episode up there that you could listen to and then i'm going to give you four answers okay. <laughs> and there's a really good one about pricing how to price your mm. gigs mm-hmm. so, that is very important yeah yeah i have a different you know coming from the accounting world everything is billed hourly mm-hmm. and so I'm trained after 10 years of CPA work to think about the work that I'm doing in terms of hourly. And I found that a lot of musicians will take a gig for 150 bucks because it's a three hour gig and they think that they're getting $50 an hour. And they're like, that sounds great. But there's 10 hours of marketing and rehearsal and driving and setup and sound check and hanging out after. And it turns out to be five dollars an hour mm-hmm. instead because yeah. of how yeah. much work you put into it so i have a spreadsheet it's available on my website you can download it where you can put in how much you want to make per hour and then how many hours your live gig will take you and you can do the math that way wow yeah. that's awesome yeah thanks yeah did that answer okay. your question it did yeah absolutely um one final question. Yeah. Who are you listening to right now? I even thought about this one and now I still can't answer it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm doing this project right now where I am trying to listen to one new album a day that nice. I, yeah, that I either missed um, because it came out like at a time when I wasn't listening to music this way. So I'm going to tell you what I've, a couple of the albums that I've been listening to lately. Awesome. I, yesterday I listened to, um, a really old Lake street drive, Lake street dive album. Nice. And I really like that one. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, I really like Maisie Peters. Have you heard of her? Mm-mm. She's fun. She's really silly and fun. And I really like her. Um, I listened to the David Byrne and, saint vincent album it's called love this giant that one is really fun too oh the lake street dive uh album was called obviously and podcasts i've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately i listened to gabby bernstein and it's called dear gabby and then Brene brown Mm -hmm. those are my two that i listen to every week and kathy heller she is a former songwriter yeah she's she's like my mentor she's like my my favorite person in the world. <laughs> I love Kathy Heller's podcast. She's amazing. I took yeah. her podcasting course. She like oh, coached nice. me through launching my podcast. And um, yeah, she's amazing. I've taken a couple of her courses. 
That's awesome. Nice. I did I did one of her like week long free songwriters workshops at oh, the cool. at the encouragement of another friend of mine who we both met at a songwriting camp and she's like, Hey, you should go take this course with Kathy and yeah, it was awesome. She's fantastic. I love her. I just love her. She's just such a light in the world and I love the way she interviews people and how she's just always trying to bring out the best in people and um I really appreciate that. She taught me to do it messy and release my perfectionism. Yeah. And that was something that I really, really struggled with for my entire life. Um, you know, I, I could lean into it in tax and bookkeeping because your tax return literally has to be completely perfect or you'll get a letter from the IRS. <laughs> and um, so I was able to like flex my perfectionism for 10 years while I was working in a CPA office and it was so good for me. Mm-hmm. But in all of the other areas of my life, it was not good for me. Like, um, I was drinking too much and just stressed out all the time because I was like trying to live up to the standard that humans shouldn't ha- have to try to be perfect all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So one of Kathy's mottos is do it messy. Yeah. And, uh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot for me to not go back and edit every single typo on every single social media post I ever make. But I always hear Kathy's voice in my head saying, do it messy, do it messy. What's the worst that could happen? (laughs) That's wonderful. Well, Steph, thank you so much for coming on to the show today and talking to us and giving us so many different headcanons and (laughs) just so much to think about. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Steph. You're welcome. Great to see you all. Thank you so much Great for having me. Great to see you me. too. And links will be in the show notes uh, so you can check out Steph and all of the amazing work that she does and ask questions and all of that good stuff. So thank you so very much, Steph. You're welcome. Thanks, Steph. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Stephanie, for coming onto the show and just dropping so much awesome knowledge on us. We really appreciate it. And because Stephanie is amazing, she wanted to give us a couple of freebies for all of you. She gave us her music business startup essentials checklist and also her tax prep checklist. So both of those will be attached in the show notes for you. So make sure you check them out. And again, go visit Stephanie at her podcast, When Songs Mean Business. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.